It's the next level. Godzilla's hiding and it's up to you to find him. Just buy a medium or larger drink. If you find Godzilla, use your decoder to reveal what you've won. I think I need a bigger box. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. and coarse language intended for adult audiences. Viewer discretion advised. Confirmed. Yes, it's been confirmed. We know. Robert Pattinson is Batman. It's been confirmed. We know this. Yes, we know he was part of Twilight. He himself hates that he was part of Twilight. He's even called out Stephanie Meyer for being a complete moron when it came to vampires. Probably he said it in a nicer way. But still, we get it. He was once Edward Cullen. He is now Batman. He is Bruce Wayne. I think he can pull both roles off. And I think he's going to do it nicely. And for those of you who are worried about, you know, skinny, scrawny little guy, will he be able to beef up? Let me bring you back to Batman Begins. When Christian Bale was our Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Prior to this, he was in a movie called The Machinist. For those of you who haven't seen The Machinist, he was an 80-pound anorexic insomniac. Eight months later, he started filming for Batman Begins and was completely beefed up. Trust me, he'll get a trainer, he'll eat some food, probably binge out on McDonald's. Well, probably not, but you know what I'm saying. There is nothing to worry about here. I think this is a great casting. I think he's going to do very well. As a matter of fact, he may be one of the first actors to pull off both Bruce Wayne and Batman. Because I know at last episode I said, well, he could be Terry McGinnis. No, he probably won't be. I mean, there's already rumblings in, on the internet that, you know, Robin and possibly Batgirl. And I know that Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman have all been thrown into the mix. So, I mean, Terry McGinnis, he's probably not going to be Terry McGinnis. But that said... He'll be fine. We need to let the Twilight memories fade. Forget about it. He wants to forget about it. I don't know why the internet can't forget about it. And that's my piece on that. I'm not going to go much longer on it because I already talked about this last episode. Now, on to better things. Because, coming to you 
live from the Next Level Network production studios. They don't actually have a studio, but hey, whatever. It is your favorite horrible horror podcast, What What Lurks Lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Rantman's gone now. He's gone. We're not going to deal with him anymore. Um, so, episode 45. <laughs> I know, I would should have released this last week, but... See, I made a stupid little boo-boo. I made two boo-boos, actually. Because I said William Cat was in Prom Night. Nope, sorry, he was in Carrie. Same idea, you know, high school dance and all, but no, I fucked that up. And I also fucked up when Memorial Day was, because... Oh, wait, <laughs> Victoria Day is the one Sunday. Memorial Day follows the next Sunday. My bad. Whatever. I'm an idiot. Let's move on. This week, though, it's episode 45. And I'm going to be reviewing a film festival favorite. It's kind of known. Not very well known, but it's kind of known. It's a movie from 2008 called Midnight Movie. But first, I have two things I need to talk about. Actually, kind of three, because this morning I was listening to DC Primetime, another podcast on the Next Level Network, network of podcasts, and Ben and Rob were really awesome to publicly invite me to join them when they do their Swamp Thing episodes. I am in. I am definitely in. Um, (laughs) I can't wait till they record those later on in the summer because I'm definitely joining them. There is no question about that. Which, obviously, if you figured it out, the first thing I want to talk about is Swamp Thing. So we got the first episode on the DC Universe uh, streaming service. Or if you're in Canada, other ways. (laughs) Sorry, Netflix or whoever's picking it up. I wasn't fucking waiting. Um, Canada has a... There's a thing with licensing and streaming rights and all this other bullshit and... It always seems like Canada takes forever to figure their shit out. So I wasn't waiting. I did it the other way. And I watched the first episode. Great first episode. The episode one, it's called Pilot. It's all it needs to be called. Um, Holy shit. Okay, I've been excited about Swamp Thing. I did not realize we were getting this. This is body horror and it's amazing. Um, first off, I have to, I have to mention something here. The acting in this is really good. Um, as a matter of fact, if you listen to the DC primetime episode where they talked about the first episode of Swamp Thing, I did what they did. I didn't realize the cast going into this. The only casting I knew of was Derek Mears. That's it. And already I was like, man, he's been Jason Voorhees. He did it good. I'm not worried. Um, but... The two actors that really sold me, and there was actually four that really stood out, but the two that have won me already, I I am definitely in. I am definitely in for this series. Ten episodes, and I can't wait to see the other nine. Crystal Reed as Abby Arcane, which I was familiar with her as Sophia Falcone in Gotham. Uh, As a matter of fact, I really liked her portrayal of Sophia Falcone. So seeing her in this, I was like, all right, let's see how this works out. And she is awesome as Abby Arcane. She does a great job. Yeah, she's kind of cute too. So it's, you know, she's nice on the eyes and whatnot. But aside from that, her acting chops, 
I think she's a great lead for the show. I think she's going to be awesome. The other one that really stood out was Andy Bean. He was Alec Holland. Very charismatic. Um, really, uh, he he won he won me like you know like he he pulled me in. I I really liked this character. Um, kind of nerdy, but in a fun way. Uh, both both actors did an amazing job for the first episode. The other two that kind of stood out was uh, Will Patton and Virginia Madsen. Now Virginia Madsen, um, I personally liked her in Candyman. I, I I really liked her character in Candyman. So when I when I saw her name pull up in the credits, I'm like, mm, okay, I'm in. Uh, <laughs> I said that a lot while I was watching this, and I was like this little kid like on a Saturday morning because that's when I watched it. I watched it Saturday morning. So it's kind of like my Saturday morning cartoons, except it's not a cartoon. And uh, I was like sitting there, I was all like cross-legged and sitting in front of the TV like a little kid and I was watching this and I kept like leaning in forward to like just pull it in. Oh, fuck. So well done for a first episode. Like you need to land that pilot episode. You really do because if you don't, uh, the odds, it, people start wondering, eh, all right, I'll give it two to three episodes and it would... I might like it, I might not, this and that. No, they they pulled you in. Uh, Will Patton and Virginia Madsen uh, play the Sunderlands. Uh, they they do a good job of giving off that, that feel like... I mean, let's face it, we know they're probably going to be the main villains of the series. But they do it in a way that it's like... They're sneaky, they're suspicious feeling, but you really can't put your finger on it just yet where they will place in the show. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's safe to say they're going to be our main villains. As I always point out about the music, the music is done by Brian Tyler for this series. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. Very atmospheric, very chilling. Uh, fits the show like beautifully. Like all, all the cues are perfectly set. It was weird. I was watching the show, like I was watching the episode, and I kept getting this Arkham game series feeling, like like a lot of what Nick Arundel did for Arkham Asylum City and Night. I really got that because I mean I, I could mention Origins as well, but Christopher Drake went very loud with his performance, where Nick Arundel had like it was more softer and atmospheric, and that's what Brian Tyler did for this, and it's. Even the music, I was like, wow, I'm loving this like right now. And the CG effects, it's... I'm, you guys know, and I've mentioned this many times on the show, I, I am a practical effects kind of guy. There are some practical effects in this, um, not many. A lot of it is CGI, but I don't have a problem with it. They, it was done so well. It, it, it looks beautiful on the screen. A great use of suspense. It's definitely body horror. Um, I, I can't talk much more on it because I've, I'm not going to do spoilers just yet. As a matter of fact, when you want to hear my spoilery reviews of this, tune into DC Primetime when I join Rob and Ben for that because I'm gonna I'm not gonna be holding back by that point. But right now, I want to hold back. I, I don't want to let too much on because it just got dropped May 31st. I want to let people have a chance to watch it. Overall, great first entry. Great. Um, for some reason, some people felt, I guess critics mainly, which fuck the critics, and I'm going to be furthering on that my next point. But um, <laughs> uh, 
I guess some people felt this was a slow episode. Okay, let, let, let me say this. 10 episodes. TV has that chance to stretch out a story and make it count. That's what they're doing. You're not going to get Swamp Thing within five minutes of the fucking episode. It would be a waste of time and it would be a waste of potential. Yes, they're building up. We get all the character. I shouldn't say all the character background. We get some character background. We get things that keep you interested, keep you invested, wanting to see where is this going to go. There are points that I would say lead to what will seem as predictable endings. But then again, I haven't seen the other nine episodes. I don't know for sure that it's predictable. I got a good feeling. But, I mean, that also comes from, what, uh, almost 40 years of watching horror flicks? <laughs> and this is definitely a horror series. You, it, This is no bullshit. It's horror. And it's body horror. This is... this. Uh, let me put it to you this way. This would make Wes Craven very happy. Wes Craven did the Swamp Thing movie way back in 1984, I believe it was. Uh, if he was still around today, he would be very happy with this. Clive Barker would be happy with this. I mean, Clive Barker has one of the greatest body horror films to date in Hellraiser. John Carpenter's The Thing. As a matter of fact, even Rob points out in DC Primetime, there is one scene in the Swamp Thing episode that is very like the thing. And you're like, holy shit. Like, I I was so engulfed in this. I, I easily say it's a 9 out of 10 for me for a pilot. And I am so looking forward to the next 9 episodes. I, I, I think this is going to round out the story very well. I have a feeling I now know why the last 3 episodes were probably cut. Because I think that the next three episodes were going to lead into season two. And I think they probably want a very tight story. So, that said, Swamp Thing, see it, watch it, love it. Um, very Alan Moore is what I got from it. I felt this was very much like an Alan Moore story of Swamp Thing. This is, this is something that I'm very excited about. But... Now I have something else I need to talk about. And it would be unfair of me to start this without doing this. Yeah, you know that sound. You know who makes that noise. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Okay, you thought I raved about Swamp Thing? <laughs> Fucking amazing. Oh my god, this movie is so good. This is everything a Godzilla fan could want. And I'm going to preface this now, no spoilers. Because the movie just came out in theaters and you all need to see this fucking movie. If you are a Godzilla fan, you need to see this movie. If you've seen the negative reviews online, fucking ignore them. People don't know what the fuck they're getting into. There are reviews online right now that are complaining the human element is lacking. Fuck you. That's all I have to say about that. You don't go to a Godzilla movie to see humans. As a matter of fact, the human element, let me just say it now, the humans are annoying, but who the fuck cares? This is a Godzilla movie. Your four main characters are Godzilla, Ghidorah, Rodan, and Mothra. 
That's it. That's all you need to fucking know. I don't give a shit about the human element. Superhero hype, yeah, I'm calling them out. Because they slammed the movie for not having enough character. Because the human element was lacking. Now, either their writer, who wrote this, and I'll keep his name out of this, but he was either trolling their readers, or the guy seriously had no clue what he was getting into. He had no clue at all what he was watching. You don't go to a Godzilla movie to see humans. You go to see the kaiju. You go to see titans fighting each other, killing each other, while destroying everything in their fucking path. And that is exactly what you get with this movie. The pacing is quick. The visuals are breathtaking. The battles, so massive in scale. It's exactly what you would want from a Godzilla movie. Exactly what you would want. I mean, and okay, my sister went with me. She has not seen the first Godzilla film, nor had she seen Skull Island. You don't need to. To be quite honest, you really don't need to. I mean, sure, it would help you understand the story a little bit more, but the movie does enough exposition through the dialogue that you don't technically need to see the first two films. I recommend you do because they're awesome and they're fucking fun to watch, but you don't need them. Um, The music. Okay, the music. Slight spoiler here. For those of you who grew up watching the Toho films, the old films of the past, of the Godzilla films, all the main themes are here. You will get goosebumps. You will seriously get goosebumps. I had goosebumps because my favorite character in the monster verse, as they call it, Mothra, was awesome. I loved seeing Mothra on the big screen. And that is the thing. I cannot stress this enough. See this movie. See it now. See it on the big screen of a theater. Do not wait for Netflix, okay? See it on the big screen because the massive scale of this movie, when you see Ghidorah full stretch across the screen, you get goosebumps. It is beautiful. It is epic. The movie is loud. It's supposed to be. This is what us Godzilla fans... And I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this now. I'm not even as big a Godzilla fan as some of my friends are. I mean, there are some of my friends that live for these movies. I have seen many of them. I own some of them. And I really didn't care for the Matthew Broderick one. Although, I, I will say, it was a monster movie and it was fun to watch. But, I mean, that wasn't Godzilla. It was a giant lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. But, no, um, if you are a Godzilla fan... At any level, you will enjoy this movie. But don't don't go to see Millie Bobby Brown give you some great performance. I mean, no, this isn't Stranger Things, and she's not playing Eleven. She's not the focal point. Don't go in there looking for that. You won't get it. You're going to get a monster movie with giant kaiju kicking the shit out of each other and just demolishing everything. And that is exactly what... A Godzilla movie should have been. The 2014 film, people complained there was too much human element. Michael Doherty comes along and says, okay, fine. Let's lower the human element. Let's do more monsters. People will be happy. And critics, for some reason or another, fucking complained. Suck my dick. You know what? No, this movie is amazing. 9.5 out of 10 for me. 
and I'm trying to do this without spoiling anything, so I'm probably going to stop right there. But yes, see this movie, see it on the big screen. You will absolutely enjoy yourself. Like I said, very quick paced. It's like bang, 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 bang. It, 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 it just keeps going. I think you get like maybe at one point, I think you get like five minutes of quiet where there's some dialogue and whatnot. And that's all you really want. You don't want to sit there and watch. Okay. Netflix has these anime Godzilla movies right now. Uh, there's one, two, and three. I tried watching part three. I watched the first two parts. I tried watching part three the other day. I haven't even finished it. All it is is talk, 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 talk. You know what? I like talk, talk, the band. I don't want it in a Godzilla movie. So <laughs> that said, 9.5 out of 10. This movie is fucking amazing. You must see it. And on that note, now we'll talk about a movie that I'm not that excited about. I wouldn't say I hate it. But it's not Swamp Thing and it's not Godzilla. It's Midnight Movie. So, I'm going to play the trailer. The trailer is kind of weak. But the movie, on the other hand, well, let me put it to you this way. I kind of got pulled in a little bit by the look of the movie poster. I liked what the killer looked like. I originally actually, um, oh God, this is going back about four or five months ago. I was thrift store shopping and I actually saw it there and I was ready to pick it up only to find out the disc wasn't in the fucking case. So that was a fail. A couple months later, I find a four pack that has, you know, it's got four different movies and Midnight Movie was one of them. And I mean, for $3, I'm like, okay, $3, four movies. You can't go wrong. I'm not even paying a dollar for this movie. Maybe it'll be good. Got to admit, I was kind of surprised. But more on that in a moment. Give him a break. You should give her a break, Bobby. That was strong stuff you gave her. Five bucks as the blonde gets naked. It's a horror movie. Somebody always gets naked. Now the concession girl said this movie's like 40 years old. I heard that they actually killed people when they made the movie. It's just some urban myth. This is the first screening of his movie since he disappeared. If he's out there, he'll show. The prank of all pranks. It's Sully up there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, it's not real. I'm not gonna look like a fool on some reality show. This ain't a TV show. It's the killer from the movie, and he's here in this theater. No, they say scary movies are an aphrodisiac. If you get turned on by this, we're breaking up. Okay, I'm just going to say this before I get into the movie review of the week. To those of you who buy movies and then you don't like them, so you give them to thrift stores, you donate them, you, you sell them off at pawn shops and whatnot, I'd like to express to you from the bottom of my black heart, thank you, because... The B-movie addict in me that loves shitty movies loves going into a thrift store and buying really bad movies at dirt cheap because I'm not really gouging my wallet and I get a chance to watch some pretty bad cinema. But I get to see sometimes, sometimes you get to see like actors 
and I'll throw this back to Robert Pattinson in a way. You get to see actors take on roles that are kind of crappy. You get to see what they try to do with a bad script. Now, this movie, I I wouldn't necessarily say bad script um, because I, there's some original things in this film that I really liked. But this movie, case in point, a month ago would not have been an episode on this podcast because of thrift stores. I was able to purchase this movie at three bucks for four films. So I didn't even pay a buck for this film technically. And I was able to watch it, take it in and go, Hmm, that is podcast worthy. So we can thank thrift stores for why I am talking about this movie this week. See how that worked? Not that you give a shit, but hey, it is what it is. I just wanted to say thank you. Now, on to the show, or on with the show. Is it on with the show? Whatever. Shut the fuck up, Paul. No, wait, don't shut the fuck up, because (laughs) that's the point of the podcast, for me to talk. Um, Okay, so, Midnight Movie. This, uh, This movie was more a film festival kind of flick. Uh, didn't really get much of a mainstream uh, theatrical release. It was more uh, DVD sales and whatnot that played into it, but it did get released in a few theaters. Uh, its original first release was September 27th in 2008 at the Chicago Horror Film Festival, which the movie won the award for Best Feature at the 2008 Chicago Horror Film Festival. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's nice to, you know, make your premiere and win an award on it. So, hey, it's got that going for it. That's good. It's good. Uh, about a month later, October 24th, 2008, it had a limited release in theaters. And I think it was like the main cities, like your New Yorks, your Los Angeles, Toronto's, uh, Vancouver, stuff like that. I, I know it, it didn't... Uh, <laughs> didn't get shown here in Windsor um, now in Germany it actually has a different title it's known as Skullhead Massacre honestly it kind of fits especially when you see what the look of the killer is how he, his mask is kind of like a, a skull head so it kind of works um, the runtime for the film is an hour and 22 minutes if we're talking the what they call the killer cut which I will talk about a bit more later uh, it's an hour and 24 minutes so, I don't know. Uh, the The version I'm going to be talking about is the original release. I haven't technically seen the killer cut. And from what I've been told, I'm not missing much. So, we're going to just talk about the, well, we, me, and... Well, actually, so far, there's been Rant Man and there's been Postmortem Paul. So, you've gotten two of the personalities. They both sound the same because it's the same fucking guy. I'm not doing voices for this show. At least not yet. Let me get a bit more comfortable with my inner personalities. But anyways, (laughs) I like to stray off topic. Have you noticed? Um, Okay, so. Anyways, the film was directed by Jack Messick. This is his only uh, directorial film. Uh, It was his directorial premiere first film he's ever directed and it's the only one but he has multiple credits for camera and electrical work 
for many TV series, uh, which included Chicago Fire, Blackish, Scandal, Bones, uh, Extent. Um, he, he's been a busy man. I mean, it's not like, you know, this was his first ever foray into film and he didn't know what he was doing. No, he, he's been he's been around. Um, the film was written by Sean Hood. Well, the, the story was. And then the screenplay was created or, you know, composed or adapted. I should adapted is the best word, I think, for it. Uh, by Mark Garbett and Jack Messett. He, uh, so he basically wrote and directed this film. Produced by Casey Andrews, Liam Finn, and Jacques Thelemoc. I like that name, Jacques Thelemoc. Um, obviously, he's French. <laughs> Duh, really? Um, okay. Cinematography by Ruben Russ. And that's the other award that this film won at the Chicago Horror Film Festival. It won uh, the 2008 award for best cinematography. I'm not gonna lie, the cinematography in this film is pretty good. It, it was shot very well. I, it, I cannot knock it for that. Uh, casting by Tara Ann Johnson and Christine Scowley. Music by I'm gonna try to say this name right. Penka Kuneva. Kuneva. Uh, it, it looks kind of. It's a European name, obviously. I'm thinking kind of like Russian, like Kornikova kind of thing. Look, I don't know. Just shut the fuck up. Anyway, <laughs> he, um, so he was no stranger to music, though. Uh, even though this is probably the first film where he did like um, composing, uh, he's done a lot of orchestral work on movies like Elysium, uh, the animated film Nine, Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Beginning, Hostel, Hostel Part Two, and he. Uh, he was tied to the Transformers films, not as composer, but like he did like the orchestral um, settings, I guess you would call it, uh, as well as he's done several video games. Now, your starring cast for this movie, uh, I was surprised to find, like I did research on a lot of the, the actors, and I was surprised to find some of the um, products they were attached to. Uh, Rebecca Brands, which is somewhat of a local talent. She's from Detroit, Michigan, so kind of local. I mean, yeah, I'm Windsor and I'm Canada and I'm not part of the U.S., but <laughs> anyways, Detroit is like, you know, it's so close. We can I can see Detroit from like my, you know, my backyard. So you can see the Rensen, like the Renaissance Center, which is now like the GM headquarters, whatever. We can see those buildings like from my house. So it, it's kind of cool. Like Detroit literally is right there. Um, anyways, Rebecca Brand, she's from Detroit, Michigan. She plays the character of Bridget in this. She's our main lead. Um, she's done a bit of TV work, uh, Criminal Minds, NCIS, The Forgotten, and Justified. She was also in the horror film that was produced by Slash of Guns N' Roses, uh, Nothing Left to Fear, which I have yet to see that. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I do know it's out there. And she was in uh, the 2014 film April Apocalypse which was kind of like a romance romance, horror film. It's kind of weird. Um, so she was in that. Again, she, she had uh, several acting credits. She's no stranger to the screen. Uh, Danielle Bonjour, uh, unless it's Bonjour, because, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you see a name and it looks French, and then you find out, like, like Favre, Brett Favre. It's weird. He has, like, a French-looking name, but... He pronounces it Favre. It's not like, you know, well, I, I guess if you wanted to, like, 
you know, North Americanized that it could be Favre, but whatever. I'm jumping off topic again. Daniel Bonjour, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, He plays Josh. He's like the main male lead, uh, the boyfriend to Rebecca Brand's uh, character, Bridget. Uh, He was in films like Bundy, A Legacy of Evil. He was on the Walking Dead TV series, as well as the TV series Frequency. And I knew he looked familiar. He's in iZombie. Um, I believe his character, I can't remember the character's name, but he was one of uh, Liv Moore's boyfriends. Um, so, and it was weird because I remember like watching this for the first time. I'm like, God, that guy looks fucking familiar. He's from iZombie. Uh, he's also done voice acting for video games like Hitman and Final Fantasy XV. Uh, another name I will try to pronounce properly, Greg Cyrilnik. He plays Mario. This is his only credit. He literally has nothing else to his name. He, this is it. Uh, Midnight Movie is his only uh, acting credit, his only credit. Like, he, he didn't have writing, producer, nothing. Um, Stan Ellsworth as Harley. Again, he looked kind of familiar. I knew I'd seen his face on TV before. Now, I haven't watched this show, but... I do remember seeing his face attached to it. Uh, The TV series American Ride that was uh, on TV from 2011 to 2014. He was the host for that show. Uh, He was also in High School Musical 3 senior year as Mr. Riley. I cannot say I've seen High School Musical, any of them. Uh, (laughs) That was well after my time and not something that appealed to me. But he was in that as well. Uh, Mandel Mon. Or Mahan, it, it it could be Mahan. I you guys know me. I am horrible with fucking names. Anyways, she plays uh, Samantha. She was uh, also part of the Save the Supers TV series. Uh, she was Elementra. Uh, she's also had roles on TV shows like Sean Saves the World, House of Lies, Me Myself and I, and Blackish. Melissa Steech, and her character's name apparently is babe she was harley's girlfriend in in the film um so anyways she did not she she does not have a lot of acting credits uh the kid and i this movie and a short called the guy chronicles that's it um justin barrick as timmy now there's something i want to point out and I, I wrote it in my notes later on, but I'm going to point it out now. Justin Barrick, what's very interesting is he looks like the kid who played Tommy Doyle in the 1978 Halloween film. In this movie, this is his only acting credit. It's his only credit. Uh, he hasn't done anything else. He's a young kid. He plays Bridget's little brother. But it was uncanny how much he looked like Tommy Doyle from... The original, you know, John Carpenter's Halloween. I thought that was really cool. Um, I don't know if it was done intentionally that way, but he definitely looked like him. Moving on, John Burdell as Detective Barons. Now, this guy has done some acting. <laughs> he has 127 acting credits, uh, most recently. And DC Primetime, I'm throwing it back to them again. They rave about the show Doom Patrol. I have yet to watch it. And it is on my list. And I have vacation coming next week. I'm probably going to knock it off the list because I've heard nothing but good things about this show. But he is in the show Doom Patrol as Darren Jones. Like I said, 127 acting credits. The guy's, he's been busy. Um, 
The next character I'm going to talk about is uh, the actor Michael Swan plays Dr. Wayne. Uh, no, not Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> anyways, he's a, a soap opera actor, primarily. He's been on soaps like Santa Barbara, As the World Turns, and The Bold and the Beautiful. But you may know him as Officer Pappas in Friday the 13th, Part 7, Jason Lives. He's also the announcer for the Dodgers game in Captain America, the first Avengers. And I remember when, if you've seen Captain America, first Avenger, uh, which I'm assuming you all have, I think I just said first Avengers too. Oh, whatever. I'm not going back and editing it. Fuck it. Uh, but <laughs> Captain America, the first Avenger, you remember when uh, cap wakes up and he's like, he's in present time, but he doesn't know that they've got him in this room that looks all 1950s and whatnot. And there's a a radio game, like a a baseball game being played on the radio. He's the announcer. Uh, Michael Swan was the announcer in that. Um, So I thought that was pretty cool. He's done also a lot of campy B movies. Uh, Some of the titles are pretty funny, like Piranaconda, uh, Camel Spiders, (laughs) Dino Croc versus Super Gator and Attack of the Killer Donuts which I did not know this movie existed, and now that I do, I have to fucking see it. <laughs> like, Attack of the Killer Donuts. Like, that oh, it just sounds fun. I'm sure someone gets, you know, killed by a Boston Cream Donut somewhere in that film. I have to see it. Michael Schwartz plays the character of Sully. Sully is... His character is very minor. He's one of the first kills in the film. But what I like about him is he's like that annoying horror fan that is all of us, but none of us. Like, like he's totally like the, oh, hey, it's a flick. I can't wait to see this. And, you know, blood, guts. I want to see the death. And at the same time, he's like that annoying person that goes to a theater and he's spilling his popcorn all over the place. And, you know, he's pissing people off and just very obnoxious, which most of us horror fans are not that person. Like when we go to a horror film at a theater, we might heckle the movie a bit, but we're not like spilling popcorn all over the place and whatnot. At least I hope not. Come on now. We're all like, you know, very elite people. Like we are amazing. People want to be like us, right? Or wrong. Anyways, uh, Bray, I, I think it's pronounced Bray Grant as Rachel. Uh, she's, uh, one, she's one of the girls that works in the lobby of the of the theater showing the quote-unquote midnight movie. Uh, she was in Dexter, actually. Uh, she's also been in A Ghost Story, Eastsiders, and most recently, All the Creatures Were Stirring, which is exclusively on Shudder right now. Fuck Shudder, man. You guys get a lot of promotion out of me. Fuck. Sean Osmus as Kenny. He's only been in one film. Other than this, uh, Trail of Blood, it's another horror film. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it, but he was in that. Uh, Kenny is like the the guy in the film that's all like, I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> his death is gratifying, let's put it that way. Um, and Lee Main as the killer, and this is his only acting credit. We never see his face. Um Obviously, okay, like there's also the character of Ted Bradford, and I think it's Agatha Bradford. Ted Bradford is the director in this film. I didn't get his acting credits, whatever. Uh, But anyways, he's the director that made the film, and well, I'll get to that in a minute because of the synopsis and whatnot. But anyways, Ted Bradford is 
supposedly the killer, but Lee Main played the character of the killer because he was wearing the mask and he's very big and ominous, kind of like Derek Mears. You know, Derek Mears in Swamp Thing, you know, big, massive guy and whatnot. Well, Lee Main was that character for this film. And it's, like I said, his only acting credit. The synopsis of the film. I know you're all wondering, what's this movie about? Is it amazing? Is it great? Is it like, you know, Halloween or Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street? Nope, sorry. Um, But anyways, (laughs) at a rundown theater in a sleepy suburban town, a group of friends attend the midnight screening of a 1970s cult horror film. And no, it's not Last House on the Left. These unsuspecting teenagers are unaware that the director and star of the movie made a bloody escape from a psych ward five years earlier and may still be on the loose. As the midnight movie begins, the kids heckle the old black and white scenes, but they are jolted when the killer butchers one of their friends on screen. They soon realize that the killing is not a prank. They are locked inside the theater and the killer from the movie is after them. Oh no! Caught between reality and the screen's flickering shadows, are they becoming the unwilling stars of the very horror film they are watching? So that concept actually is kind of cool. Uh, the whole idea of... Uh, and it's an unfair comparison, but it kind of reminds me of Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. In the fact that we got to see like the supernatural element in that film of when Freddy became Freddy... We also saw that in Freddy's Nightmares, uh, the No More Mr. Nice Guy episode, but that was really bad. I mean, it was good campy, you know, midnight TV viewings and whatnot, but I like the idea that this this film kind of fucks with you. You don't know if you're, like, you know when the killer is coming because, like, the screen that they're watching, it does like that, like that film burn thing, and that's when you know, like, killer is actually in real world and whatnot, but... It's it's kind of cool, like, the concept of the idea that the movie they're watching, they're also part of. I, I think other film. I'm pretty sure there's another film that has done this before, somewhat similar to it. But still, though, kind of original. Um, and then, okay, like I mentioned about the, the killer cut. Two years after its DVD release in 2009, because it was released in... January, I believe, in 2009 on DVD, uh, the director got a chance to do a revised version of the film. Uh, The production company, which is Bigfoot Entertainment, they were so impressed with the DVD sales because, like I said, this is primarily a DVD film. It had theatrical performances, but sort of straight to DVD, I guess you would say, just because it was so limited. Um, But the sales, I guess they were so good for the movie that uh, Bigfoot Entertainment gave Messit uh, a whole bunch of like money. They gave him extra money to update the movie with new scenes and better, you know, special effects and whatnot. Uh, and then, of course, in 2011, it was released as Midnight Movie: The Killer Cut. Again, like I said, I haven't seen the Killer Cut, but it's kind of cool though. Like that, like a company would realize that, like, hey, you know, DVD sales are really good. We know this wasn't completely what you wanted here's some more money go out and try to finish the film the way you wanted to do it and not like george lucas where like you know he pissed off his fans from what i've heard like the killer cut it's not it's not a bad flick 
But if you've seen the original, you really don't need to see the killer cut to be that much more impressed. So still though, it's, it's kind of cool. It gives, you know, it gives credit to a, a director like, Hey, you know what? You got something going here, you know, boost his ego a bit and help him feel good about himself. And Hey, go, go put out the version you wanted to put out. So that's really awesome. Um, so my notes on the film, I've been doing this lately where I, I don't do point for point, obviously, like I, I'm not going to run through the whole film, but just kind of things that stood out to me. Um, the opening of the film. Okay. This is probably the biggest complaint I'm going to have about this movie. Do not judge the film based on the first five minutes. The first five minutes are weird. The story seems wonky. It, it got some cool blood like i mean there's there's some cool blood and gore in the beginning but overall like if if you go into this film going okay i'm gonna give it five minutes and see what i think of it you you might regret it because the the film gets better as it goes on especially like i'd say probably around like the 30 minute mark to the halfway point all of a sudden it gets like really fucking good like all, it, it, like seriously you're like holy shit like for a low budget like indie flick with pretty much no one that's like really famous or anything like all of a sudden like you kind of get pulled into the story almost like these people get pulled into the movie so it, it's i don't know like it, it the whole point the, the problem i have with the beginning is like you've got this deranged killer that some doctor thinks i'll make him watch his own movie that he directed and made that actually this movie fuels his bloodthirst and you're hoping in having him watch his own movie like to what prove his sanity now or to try and de-escalate the anger inside of him like and then all of a sudden like he eats a chunk out of his own arm like it it makes kind of like no sense i mean okay i get it he takes the chunk out of his arm like so he can use blood to write all these symbols on the floor and shit, which they never explain the symbols. You have no clue what the fuck the symbols are for. I mean, unless it's supposed to, you know, uh, symbolize his immortality or put him into the film, but technically it, they never explain that. Um, but I don't know, like, it's just, it, it, it's, it's a weird beginning. And then of course, like, you know, it, the, the recommending doctor who says you shouldn't do this, you know, he comes back to the hospital and finds like the whole hospital's been slaughtered and it's like the killer has escaped. Now, I don't understand what the whole five years of being dormant is all about. Like, I could understand if he went five years dormant in the psychiatric ward and then escaped and pulled like a Michael Myers where it's like, okay, now I have my mission. I'm set. I'm ready to go. But he, it, the killer doesn't do that. He goes quiet for five years. And this supposedly now midnight movie takes place five years later. Um, so I don't know. It, it, again, it, it's a very weird beginning to the film. Try not to judge the film based on its beginning. I know I said earlier about Swamp Thing. Like, you know, like the beginning has to like, you know, it has to like make the landing in order for the film to work or the series to work. In this case, it's kind of the opposite. It's like starts off really kind of weird and shitty and gets progressively better as it goes on. So, it, it like I said, stick it out. Uh, here we go. My point about Timmy uh, looking an awful lot like Tommy Doyle. And 
even like his hair, like his haircut is done exactly like Tommy Doyle looked like in the, in John Carpenter's Halloween. So I kind of wonder if that was like almost like intentionally done to be an homage to, you know, Halloween because, okay, technically midnight movie is a slasher flick. And as you're watching the film, like you kind of get the idea that it, it wants to give homage to prior slasher flicks, especially like the ones that most likely influence this thing. Um, Again, I I go to Friday the 13th, not so much part one, but when Jason got the the hockey mask, this skull mask that the killer is wearing in this film seems like it would be something that if Jason didn't have the hockey mask, he might have worn this. So kind of works. The setting, I'd like to point out, okay, so uh, almost the whole film takes place in an old theater. It's a rundown theater, not very busy. And when I'm watching this, and this is a, sort of like a personal memory of mine, for those of you who are not from the Windsor area, I'll try to describe this the best I can. We used to have um, a theater that wasn't too far from my house, actually, uh, the Forest Glade Cinema. Forest Glade Cinema was a very old school looking theater. It had been around for decades. And I saw so many films there, like growing up as a kid all the way into like my twenties and my thirties, I went and saw movies there and they were very cheap. Um, the screen wasn't, you know, it wasn't your IMAX size screen or anything like that. It was a smaller screen. The seats were the old seats that were very uncomfortable and whatnot. You usually, you know, squirmed around a lot while you're watching the movie, but it just had that old feeling, that nostalgic feeling of, watching those movies in like for me it was the 80s uh, 80s and 90s i saw a lot of films there unfortunately the forest glade cinema got torn down eventually it, it closed its doors was torn down and now there's a tim hortons in its fucking place and i'm not happy about that but anyways <laughs> this theater in this movie reminds me of that And it seems like it's probably a theater that in present day, you know, someone like restored the building and tried to keep it, you know, going. And, you know, it shows older films at a a cheaper price and whatnot. And hence The Dark Beneath. The Dark Beneath is the film created by Ted Radford, who is, quote unquote, our killer. And it's his film is playing at this theater for a midnight movie showing. And midnight movie showings, that, that was something that wasn't, overly common here in my hometown but i know that a lot of like major cities and whatnot and some smaller towns too had like midnight movie showings where you could go see a a creepy horror film at midnight for like you know a couple bucks and whatnot and that's the whole idea of this is that midnight movie is this theater is showing ted radford's film the dark beneath and because that movie is playing on the big screen that's the reason we have all the craze and chaos and anarchy in this film and the dark beneath, I'll just kind of quickly, I'll try to describe it. It's, it's a black and white film. It's up on the screen. Seems almost like an homage to the original Texas chainsaw massacre, or even let's say something like last house on the left. Um, it, it, it has like that old grainy feel. Uh, I say Texas chainsaw massacre because on the film, you have your five characters who in that film will die. They're in like an old van and stuff like that, driving through the countryside. It's, you know, sweltering hot and they're high as fuck. So it, for me, it, it reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
But then here's my other thing. So the one question I have to ask, and this is something that I guess, I guess it's making fun of, but at the same time, it's like, I always ask this question, even in real life. Why do kids go watch movies at theaters if they don't know how to shut the fuck up? They get annoyed with each other. They annoy everyone else around them at the theater. Um, as an example, Harley, who's like this big biker dude, um, clearly wants to kick all the kids' asses, and he makes that very well known because they don't shut up during the movie. Nothing is more annoying to me than going to a film and people around you can't shut up, especially in you know this time and uh, like this era of our lifetime where movies are not cheap. Um, I mean, to, to see Godzilla, you want to see it on, I, you know, an IMAX and whatnot. We're talking like almost like 18 bucks Canadian nowadays. Like it, it's, it's nuts. Like, and I don't know why these kids were at this movie theater in the first place when they don't know how to shut the fuck up. But then again, I guess they figured they were the only ones who were going to be watching this movie and figured they could have a hoot and a holler and you know, whatever. So I don't know. It, it just, and I'm sure it's probably like a, a social commentary on the fact of people that go to theaters and then they don't know how to shut up. And it, it's supposed to annoy us, the fan, like the, the the audience watching this movie. It's supposed to annoy us so that when these kids get killed, we're like, yeah, all right, right on. You deserve it, you sons of bitches. So I don't know. Um, the one part that made me kind of laugh almost made me wonder if the the... You know, if Jack Messett was inspired by Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know song, uh, Harley, at one point, he's like yelling at the kids to shut up and he's getting a blowjob at the same time. So the whole blowjob in the theater thing, um, you just see like Babe's head bouncing up and down. And it was like, hmm, all right, that was, <laughs> that was interesting. Um, so let's see what else to point out about this film. The blood and gore. Okay, so yes, I mentioned... You know, you're opening five minutes, there's some blood, there's some gore and whatnot. But in terms of the killer going after the kids, I like there's a slow buildup of blood and gore. It doesn't hit you right away. As a matter of fact, the first kill, there's virtually no blood. Um, like, Sully is the first one to get killed. Spoilers, but <laughs> Sully gets killed, and the killer then is supposedly dragging him into this room. We don't know what's in the room, but we just see his body being dragged, and there's not even a streak of blood on the floor. Like, there's literally no blood. By the halfway mark of this film, though, that's when the blood starts to flow, and you start seeing some pretty cool kills. Like, there's one kill I'll mention in a few moments. Um, that actually, it, it, it's not how it works in real life, but it's actually pretty cool to watch. Um, before I get into that though, one, th another complaint I really had with this film, the humor. So with most slasher flicks, you always have those few odd jokes that, you know, are supposed to lighten the tension a little bit and, you know, give some levity to the film and whatnot. The humor in this film is very stale you're not going to laugh very much. I mean, at one point there's even a fart joke, you know, Sully's eating popcorn and, and I guess he had a taco or something prior to the film. And, you know, Bridget and her boyfriend have just had this discussion out in the lobby and then they come back in and Josh, the boyfriend makes this comment about, Oh, Sully, was that you? And they're all like covering their noses and stuff. And it's like, okay, very immature. But then again, we are talking about teenagers. So I, I guess 
I guess it, it makes sense. Like, you know, teenagers are very, you know, impressed with fart jokes. Well, I know some adults that like their fart jokes too, but I don't know. It, the humor, I'm just kind of like, all right, can we just get to the kills now? Which, I mean, the whole fart joke thing, I guess it's necessary because it does lead up to Sully's eventual death in the bathroom, um, which I might add, why does the bathroom in this movie look like it's from like a con- condemned building? Okay, the movie Terrifier. When when Art the Clown is killing people, he's killing people in a rundown warehouse. Like it, it looks very shaddy and it's dusty and it's you know there's boards on the windows and the buildings decayed and whatnot. That's what this bathroom looks like. And I'm like, theater's old, but it's not out of business. Like the bathroom would still look nice. I know when I used to go to Forest Glade cinemas, like the bathroom, it didn't have like flickering lights and you know, the toilet worked <laughs> and like, so I'm, I'm watching this going, okay. Um, so he, he stepped out of the theater and he's now in some like rundown building. That's, you know, going to be condemned in two weeks. Like, I don't know, but I, I, I there's something I mentioned a little bit later about that. So it might explain the whole shoddy looking bathroom. Um, the killer's weapon. Now that's something I wanted to highlight. And it, it also highlights one of um, the better kill scenes in the film. He has like this really fucked up looking corkscrew blade. It's like, it's a sharp blade, but it's wrapped like a corkscrew. And it looks really fucking cool. I'm not going to lie that the weapon is fucking awesome. Uh, apparently it can rip people's hearts out of their bodies. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Um, <laughs> like literally like he jams it into someone's heart like into their chest and supposedly it scoops their heart and pulls the heart out. But if the end of it is pointed, it would puncture the heart. It wouldn't encase it. So I don't know It one of those things, right? It, it, low budget indie flick. They just wanted it to look cool and whatnot. So it rips this dude's heart out and it was pretty cool. Um, the doctor, the doctor who's, you know, with the cop, I should explain that there's a doctor and a cop at the theater and they're both looking for Ted Radford. And anyways, the doctor that's there, um, his death is kind of cool. He's one of the first deaths where we start to see a bit more blood because he actually gets like his jugular slit and you see the neck open up a bit and, blood starts trickling and I'm like, okay, here we go. And the blood's coming now. Um, the deaths for detective Barons and Samantha. That one was fun to watch. Uh, that will have the gore hound smiling when they watch this film. Uh, it's one of the more impressive kill scenes in the flick. I probably shouldn't spoil it just because if you haven't seen this film, I mean, fuck, I've already spoiled half the movie for you, but that one I'm not going to spoil. I'm just going to say it's a really cool kill kill scene. Uh, it, I, I really liked it. Um, so in terms of the whole bathroom thing, as the movie progresses, it starts to get a little bit confusing, actually, because you don't know if our heroes, as I call them, or our characters, whatever, if they're in the house that's in the movie, or are they actually still in the theater? It seems like it keeps popping back and forth. At least that's what it seems because this theater has a lot of fucking rooms. Like for being a theater, they're going in this room and that room and through this door and through this corridor. And I'm like, it's a fucking movie theater. Like how many fucking rooms do you have? So I almost get the feeling that like, it's like when the killer 
comes into the real world, I feel like the characters go into his world at the same time. At least that's what I'm thinking because they're clearly not in a theater. There's no way because, like I said, like first of all, that bathroom is looks like shoddy to shit, and I mean these kids are just running all over the place and they're running down hallways and up and down stairs and whatnot. And I'm like, for a, a an old fashioned movie theater, it does not make sense to me. Uh, but I mean, maybe that's maybe that's the whole idea of it. Like I, again, like I say, it makes homage. It, it seems like it's an homage to the old slasher flicks of the seventies and eighties. It really has that Nightmare on Elm Street feel. You know how like. You never knew, well, I mean, we as fans knew when kids were asleep and when they were awake, but how it mixes reality with the the dream world in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, with this, it seems like it's mixing reality with the movie on the screen. And I get that feeling. It does have like a scream-like awareness of itself, um, which, again, Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream, I, I feel like this is a love letter to Wes Craven films. I really do. Like, I feel like a, a lot of this had a Wes Craven feel to it. It definitely has a Friday the 13th catch in that, spoilers, we find out that, you know, the mother, in uh, the, the killer's mother, Agatha, Agatha Radford, is also one of the killers. Like, she's in on it as well, except that, you know, her her son is still alive. But, I mean, Jason was still alive for dead-ish, whatever. Uh, it, it's... I don't know. It it just seems like it was it was pretty obvious watching this that like I said with the kid that looked like Tommy Doyle, you've got the the whole reality versus the movie world uh confusion, uh the awareness of scream, the killer feeling like he's be like a Jason Voorhees. It really seems like it was a throwback to all those great slashers while not having that 80s throwback to it, if you know what I mean. Um and what I mean by that is like like Stranger Things, you know, did a great job of bringing the 80s back to the 2000s. And they did a great job with it. And I, I am a, a huge fan of Stranger Things. But it seems like so many horror films these days are trying to be 80s. They're trying to, it takes place in 1984. It takes place in 1985. Okay, the 80s were great and all for horror films. But can we stop going back to that time era? Like, there's how many eras? Like, Go back to the Victorian Gothic era or, you know, do the 90s, the 2000s, whatever. Stay present. I don't fucking care. I'm tired of the 80s throwback thing. And this movie was able to homage those old films without having it take place in the 1980s. And I really appreciated that for this film. Then there's the twist. The twist to the epic conclusion to this film that... (laughs) Bridget, after pretty much she thinks everybody is dead except her and her little brother, she runs into this room and finds that everyone is not dead. All their bodies are butchered to shit, and this is where there's some kind of cool gore and whatnot. You see, like, you know, like her boyfriend's got his eye ripped out and stuff like that, and it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. But nobody's actually dead. And the boyfriend actually makes a point of that, which is where I say it's like got a scream-like awareness to it, is where he's like, I should be dead but I'm not. I don't understand why, which I think that's the whole point of the midnight movie is the movie is keeping them alive. Um, they all look like a bunch of rotting meat bags, but they're still alive. And that's the whole supernatural element to this slasher film. Um, 
I mean, it, but it, it works. And then all of a sudden you get that realization that Bridget herself is dead-ish as she has a chunk of her gut ripped out. But she didn't know it happened because, you know, well, there's one point where she like passes out or whatnot and she wakes up and that's when she finds all her friends and whatnot. Well, the reason why she passed out is because her gut got ripped out, but she didn't know that. Um, I'm not going to spoil the ending of the film. I know I've spoiled everything else, but I'm not going to spoil the end of this film literally. But I love how the movie ends with an open ending. And yet there's no sequel. I love that. Thank you so much. Like, And I hope they never go back to this. I really hope that Midnight Movie stands on its own. It never becomes, you know, we never get Midnight Movie 2 or anything like that. Because you know what? Sometimes the best horror films are the ones that leave that open ending and never go back to them. Black Christmas is a perfect example of that. We know Jess is still in the house. We know Killer, the killer is still in the house, like Billy. But it never... They never went back to it. They never gave us Black Christmas Part 2, you know, Billy's Return or anything like that. No, we got a shitty remake years later, but they never went back and did a sequel. And I love that this film does the same thing. I mean, okay, yeah, it had the killer cut and whatnot that was released, you know, three years later or whatever. But it 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 never... There's no sequel. And I love that. And I love that so much about this film. Um... My overall thoughts on this, and I tried to do this quickly. Overall, do not judge the movie by the first five minutes. They are harsh. The acting is bad. It seems fucking weird. But as the movie does trudge on, it gets better and better. Um, It gets compared to 80 slasher films. Yes, it's a slasher film. Yes, it's an homage. But it's not an 80s throwback flick. And that I love because those are becoming very tiresome. This is a fresh approach, albeit low budget, but it's you can tell there was passion put into this. There's suspense, there's gore. It's not a scary film, and it's definitely not a perfect film. Um, it still has heart, though, and by the end of it, you don't feel like your time was wasted. At least I didn't. Like I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm also going to add a few notes just quickly here that there's a, a website called thedarkbeneath.com or inquisitionfilm.com. You can go to either or and it'll take you to the same same place. It's a mock website. Um, supposedly where Ted and Agatha Radford's, Radford's film, uh, The Dark Beneath, is being distributed by Inquisition Films. And it has like you can rent the film online and put in your email for an update and this and that. It's not an actual site. Um, it's just he... the the, the director jack messett he created the website just to like you know give it kind of a, a real feel for the dark beneath uh it's got images and press releases uh even even him himself now it's interesting because he uh he put a um like a statement online about you know the whole dark beneath and whatnot and it's supposedly that he tried to give the movie a history uh, supposedly the film was shot in 1964. Uh, Ted Radford was very inspired by uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Now, see, I got more Texas Chainsaw Massacre out of it, where apparently the director was going with more of a psycho feel. I guess that's the whole black and white idea. Um, he wanted to... Uh, Radford, apparently, when he created this movie, The Dark Beneath, he wanted to do what Hitchcock couldn't do. He wanted to completely... Uh, take an independent film and make it as real as possible, which honestly psycho is pretty well acted and a 
to the point where it felt kind of like, you know, it could be a real story. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's really cool. There's a really cool um, write-up on the internet about like how Jack Messett wanted, wanted to um, to make the movie within the movie seem like it was something real. I mean, when you're looking at it, it looks really badly shot and whatnot. You can tell they, they did it intentionally to look low budget and whatnot. Um, but you know, he, he, he and it, it's funny because the two that I mentioned are the two that he actually felt that quote unquote, the dark beneath could have inspired being Texas Chainsaw Massacre and last house on the left. So that was, it, it was pretty cool. Um, the horror pack that I, I mentioned that I have the four pack was released by phase four films. Um, it's, uh, they distributed they distributed the film here in Canada, uh, and the other three films you get on it are The Attic, Carver, and Outrage: Born in Terror. Outrage: Born in Terror actually stars Michael Madsen, so I will probably check that out. Um, the Killer Cut. So, the Killer Cut is different. It's uh, they added basically two extra minutes to the theatrical version. There's supposedly 31 changes, 13 additional scenes, 10 scenes with alternate like alternate footage, but then four extended scenes are in the theatrical version, so they cut some things. There's three recuts and one extended scene. Um, it, it, again, it's two hour, it's two two hours, two minutes difference than the theatrical. Uh, from what I was reading online, if you don't see the killer cut but you saw the theatrical, you've pretty much seen the movie the way you'll, you'll get the same effect, whether you watch the killer cut or the theatrical version. IMDB gives the movie a 5.2 out of 10 rotten tomatoes, (laughs) their audience score at 29%. I really disagree with rotten tomatoes on that one. Kind of in the same ballpark as IMDB. I personally feel this is deserving of a six out of 10. And for the simple fact that it's a quick-paced, fun film, it's got some cool kills, it's original enough to keep interest, while it's also giving nods to the slashers that came before. The movie is a six for me. I'm going to leave it at that. I I would have to say that I do recommend people checking it out if you can. It, you can definitely you can watch it. As a matter of fact, you can watch it for free on uh, YouTube. It is on there. I checked. The full movie is on YouTube. You can also rent it from Google. Um, I think I want to say you can also get it from like uh, the Microsoft uh, store, like the Xbox films and whatnot. Uh, the PlayStation store, I believe has it like it's, it's a fairly easy film to find, uh, especially online and whatnot. Like I said, go to YouTube, the full movies on there and it's for free and whatnot. So uh, or do like me, find it at a thrift store because there's a lot of people that apparently don't like it and have gotten rid of it. And I don't know. I, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch. For less than a dollar, I got a good movie that I enjoyed. So that's that. And that's it for the movie review of the week. I've talked a lot about this movie. I, I'm Wow. Yeah, almost 50 minutes worth of talk on this movie. So... It's a, I don't know. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, you know? So it's not Blair Witch Project. So uh, anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I say it every week, and I can't say it enough. To the listeners that come back every week, you guys fucking rule. 
Don't ever forget that. You guys are amazing. I love that there is an audience out there that cares to hear me babble about bullshit. So thank you for that. I do want to, before I go into where you can find the podcast, I need to make a shout out here uh, to something that you heard me mention earlier about Ben and Rob from DC Primetime. Ben Beck is the man responsible for the Next Level Network. Well, he's one of two. Uh, He had a friend, Adam, at one point. Adam is no longer part of the Next Level Network, so it is now all Ben. Ben is not only just a Next Level Network creative mind, he's also been working extremely hard at something else, and it's finally starting to come to fruition for him. And I wanted to make a mention of it. Uh, Ben is putting together his own convention uh, called Phenomicon. And just a few days ago, he... uh, he updated the Facebook page for it, new logos, he's been working all the legal stuff out, uh, copyrights and whatnot. He's been putting a lot of work into it, and he's he's passionate about it. I, I, I'm a good friend of his, um, and I follow a lot of his different Facebook pages and obviously his personal account and whatnot. And every week he's got something new to talk about, like that he's, he's working on and whatnot. He's putting a lot of thought and care into this and I think it's going to end up being a really good convention so I wanted to just put this out there for everyone if you want to follow on Facebook go to facebook.com slash the phenomicon that's all one word by the way the phenomicon Um, go check it out Uh, keep up to date on it because he's talking it up pretty good and I I, knowing Ben like Ben Ben's kind of like me we're perfectionists we want we want to do the best we can all the time. Um, and I, I have I have really good feeling about this. And I know that it's probably going to start local for him, but I think it's something that I, he eventually wants to have go, like, you know, throughout the country. And possibly, I, well, at least I'm hoping, he goes, uh, you know, international. At least come to Canada, dude. Like, seriously. But, uh, <laughs> no, I just wanted to uh, make a mention of that. Phenomicon. Uh, you can find it at facebook.com slash the phenomicon i know he was also mentioning that uh very soon there will be a twitter account and an instagram account for the convention as well so it's something to keep your uh keep your eyes open keep the lookout on now back to the podcast where you can find this shithole of a podcast (laughs) no it, it i enjoy doing this so for me it's my baby i love doing it you can find it obviously at its home the next level network.com slash podcast zero you can also find it at what lurks behind podcast zero.com those are the two primary areas you will always find you know the write-ups and the links to the episode and whatnot always check out there if you want and you have itunes well itunes is changing i know that there was just an announcement just recently that itunes is getting the axe but now Apple is going to be doing like Apple Music, Apple TV, and probably Apple Podcasts and whatnot. They're, they're, they're branching things out and whatnot. But until then, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or Google. And for those of you who have Android and you know you like, you like listening to Google and whatnot, or on Spotify. Um, Spotify, is, as Spotify is actually how I listen to a lot of podcasts. Most of my favorite ones are on there, so... Feel free to subscribe, you know, keep me alive, or, you know, dead alive, whatever. Um, 
What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. You can follow me at Instagram. I I know I don't use it enough and I need to get back on that bandwagon and whatnot, but it'll happen in time. Uh, Instagram, uh, you can find the podcast at what lurks behind podcast zero and on Twitter, which I'm trying to be a little bit more active on Twitter. Uh, what is it? WLB podcast underscore zero. And that's where you'll find me on Twitter. Also, I want to make mention of don't forget the Redbubble store. Uh, I haven't mentioned that one in quite a while. So I will mention it. Uh, redbubble.com slash people slash podcast. And then the number zero, not the word zero. Uh, you can go there. There's still designs for t-shirts on there and whatnot. I know I sold a few t-shirts. I was kind of happy about that, but then it kind of went to the wayside and I'll admit I even kind of forgot about it, which is really horrible of me. But anyways, uh, I think that's just about it. Y'all are probably wondering what the next episode is, aren't you? And crickets. No. uh, (laughs) Okay, so next episode. Next episode is one I am really looking forward to talking about because it's a childhood favorite of mine. And yeah... I won't really be criticizing it, but I'm definitely going to have fun making fun of it because it's a movie that makes fun of itself. It is not so much a horror film, but it definitely has horror elements. It is a comedy. It is just... It is a happy... Happy in the cockles area kind of feeling kind of movie from 1988. Made by the Kyoto Brothers killer clowns from outer fucking space and I cannot wait to talk about this movie I can't wait to watch it just so I can write down my notes and shit but I honestly I don't need this podcast to be a reason why I watch this movie I fucking love this goddamn movie love everything about it I love the song by the Dickies I love the fucking acting which is really bad and I don't care killer clowns from outer space people that's the next episode I had to do one that was going to be fun I had to do one that people will know and people love because it's going to be a fun movie to talk about so that's that next episode killer clowns from outer fucking space i know it's from outer space and i keep saying outer fucking space whatever i i'm passionate today okay guys like i'm very seriously it's in terms of movies and tv shows and just things to talk about it's been a good week to put together a podcast so had a lot of fun doing this. I hope you've had a lot of fun listening to this. And on that note, it's time for me to shut the fuck up, hit the stop button, let you guys all go back to your mundane lives of, you know, work and slavery. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, I don't know. It depends. If you if you like your job, it's not, you know, you don't, you don't feel like you're going, you know, to some like ball and chain kind of job. But if, if you don't like your job, I'm sorry. I'm in the same boat as you. I hate my fucking job. So, Anyways, more on that some other time. It's now time for me to sign off. So thank you guys for listening. Keep lurking. Keep all that good shit going. And go see God fucking Zilla. Seriously, go see that fucking movie. It's so fucking good. Oh, I, I need to see it again. I, oh, I just get so pumped up thinking about it. It's so much fun. And fuck the critics. Don't listen to critics. Even though it's like technically, yes, I'm kind of a critic myself because that's why I do this. Don't listen to critics. Go watch this movie and know what you're getting into. It's monsters. 
giant monsters beating each other up. That's what you're going for. Don't uh, don't go to look for some like love and romance story. That's what the Titanic is for, and we all saw that movie sink. Okay, that, it really didn't sink, but the boat did. Um, I'm done. Have a good week, everybody, and next episode, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Keep lurking, y'all.